Zito from seventh to first in the final event. You are a champion. And Oleksiak has done it! The girl from the six has got six Olympic medals. The substitute for Canada just about gets it through. It's a glory gold for Canada. Kathy Lifting goes up to Graham, takes the lead, looks a winner, draws away from Graham and Mary. This is a famous victory, a magnificent performance. It is Off the Podium, an Olympics podcast coming your way today for another athlete interview from a brand new sport, a sport we've never had an athlete on from before. And this is a part where you're going to see if you were guessing our clues correctly. We said we had an athlete coming on from a sport which involved a ball, a racket and a net. It's not table tennis, it's tennis. Remove the table, it's just plain old tennis. And it's an amazing chat we've got today with Sharon Fitchman, Tokyo Olympian from Canada. And outside of her Olympic appearance, has had an amazing career in the sport of tennis. She is a three-time Markaby medal-winning tennis player. She is a two-time Grand Slam winning, junior Grand Slam winning tennis player. Reached a quarterfinals at a Grand Slam in Australia, if you don't mind, in doubles. Ranked as high as number 21 in the world in doubles and 77 in singles and has had an incredible career over the years and this is a fantastic chat learning about that career as well as one question which i've always wanted to ask a tennis player and is that is just how do you rate an olympics when it comes to all the other great tournaments you can go to in the world of tennis it's always a question of should tennis be an olympic sport as you'll hear my opinion in this interview i believe it should be and where that ranks so do you grow up wanting to win wimbledon the french open australian open us open or do you want to go to an olympics and win an olympic gold medal so it's a great chat here around about that aspect of the sport and we also learn about her journey through doubles versus singles how that all works her experiences in tokyo the uniqueness of course that the pandemic olympics brought with her and where to now from Sharon. She's got a very unique career trajectory coming her way after the Olympics and where she's at currently in her life. And we learn a little bit more about that moving forward. So this is a fantastic chat. We finally tick off the sport of tennis. Here is our chat with Canadian Olympic tennis player, Sharon Bitchman. Nearly 300 episodes of Off the Podium, we, for some reason, have never spoken to an athlete from the sport of tennis, and we are breaking that today because I am so pumped and excited to interview our next guest today, competed at the 2020 Olympics in Tokyo in tennis and has had an amazing career outside of the Olympics as well. Former number 77 in singles, number 21 in doubles as well, and uh, continues to do great things out there on the tennis circuit. It is a pleasure to welcome to the show Sharon Fitchman. Sharon, pleasure to have you on Off the Podium and break this tennis drought. We're here. Tennis, get on board. (laughs) Thank you so much. I'm very happy to be here. I'm very happy to be your first tennis player, but probably not your last. Hopefully not. Hopefully Hopefully not. not your last. Exactly. We'll start a trend kind of moving forward because, I mean, like a lot of people, I absolutely love tennis. It's it's a sport that obviously the, the world loves. And I always find it interesting with Olympic tennis because, of course, there are lots of people who argue, oh, tennis shouldn't be at the Olympics. It's not the biggest, you know, the most prestigious version of the sport. Uh, people want to win Wimbledon, things like that. But I completely disagree. I think it should be a place at the Olympics, which I'm intrigued to find out when you're growing up and you're sort of playing tennis and you're going through the ranks, are you more focused on, I want to win Wimbledon one day? Or is there that level of, no, I do want to be an Olympian and it would be a goal to go to the Olympics playing tennis one day? Um, I would say both. You know, I think, you know, there's definitely the point that people make where, you know, tennis being a professional sport, um, having four Grand Slams, one of them being in Australia, Um, you know, that's something that a lot of players have their sights on growing up and winning a grand slam. That being said though, we're still all athletes and the Olympics is sort of the pinnacle of sport in a lot of ways. And it has so much history and it has so much prestige. Uh, and it's such an incredible accomplishment to be able to go. So that's, as well a huge aspiration for a lot of tennis players because it's just it's just such a 
monumental achievements. So I think that the answer is both, um, even though, you know, with playing the Olympics as a tennis player or competing in the Olympics as a tennis player, it just carry, it sort of carries just a different kind of weight. You're really just, um, you're playing for your country. Uh, you're playing for, you know, your, yourself as well, but really for your country and trying to, to represent your country as well as you possibly can. And, um, also just being around all these incredible different athletes, you don't get to really do that in any other yeah. event of the Olympics, you know? So, um, it's a tough one to answer. And I think it's also player dependent. I think for me, I, I would say that I first had my sights set on winning the French open when I was a kid. But then as I got older, you know, it just became more and more enticing to want to be an Olympian. And, um, I think that that yeah, sort of shifted for me, but there are some athletes that are like, I would play, I would want to compete in the Olympics more than, um, a grand slam or winning, winning, you know, winning, uh, having a gold medal in the Olympics means more. Um, so it's, it's a tough one. It's a tough it's, one. They're both pretty amazing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just fascinating kind of how every Olympic cycle you have that question. I think one thing we've talked a lot about at the show is the fact that, you know, golf came back in 2016 and a lot of people question that because you haven't had the massive names come into to golf at the Olympics yet. But I think it was kind of a bit like that with tennis when it first started and it's maybe only really been sort of in the last 20 or so years that you're getting these big names coming on board. I mean, obviously, Steffi Graf famously won the Golden slam you know in in 1988 but the fact that you'd had someone like Novak Djokovic went out of his way last year to be like no I'm going to the Olympics Roger's done it before you know Serena Venus dominated the Olympics people like this who go out of their way who don't need to go to an Olympics they're already you know a great without having an Olympic medal but I, I like that I like that aspect that you've got some tennis players who are like no this this is as equal if not you know a little bit more to have that opportunity to as you said represent your country and, and go for an Olympic medal yeah, definitely. I think also the cool part about tennis is that you have the professional side of your sport, but then you have the opportunity to compete at the Olympics, which is predominantly filled with amateur athletes. And that's kind of a blessing because, you know, there's a lot of sports in the Olympics that like, that's, that's it. That's the, that is what they were, you know, pouring their blood, sweat and tears into for years and years and years. And it's the Olympics and, um, and that's a lot of pressure and it's also incredible. Um, but then there isn't like a, you know, 52 week tour that they get to just jump back into. Yeah. Um, so it's really special to actually be able to have both. And I think, yes, sure. There are some players that maybe um, don't see it as um, don't see it the same way that maybe I do or other athletes do other tennis players do, but there's a lot that, that really feel like it's, so incredible to have that opportunity so I think it's pretty I think it's pretty great for sure which growing up then sort of playing tennis were you athletic in other sports were you sort of trying like most kids like let's try this let's try that and was it something that you know obviously you're dreaming about winning the French Open in tennis but in any other sports Olympic sports thinking hey this could be a possibility if this goes a certain way yeah you know I come from a tennis family, so I didn't, I joke, like I didn't really have a choice. Um, <laughs> my, my parents love tennis. My brother, I have an older brother. He also played tennis um, nationally. And um, I think that was sort of what I excelled most at, but I did grow up playing other sports. I love playing soccer. I actually competed in gymnastics. I was pretty good at that. It just, you know, definitely a more dangerous sport <laughs> on your body. <laughs> Um, I, I also like to figure skate, um, as a kid, that was really fun for me. So, you know, I, I dabbled in different things. I, I grew up playing so, um, soccer, you know, in Canada, they call it soccer. Um, soccer here in so Australia too. It's fun. You get away. Here, yeah. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I think that really helped with, uh, that really helped my tennis. The fact that I grew up playing all sorts of different sports. Um, but I definitely think I was encouraged <laughs> by my family to kind of stick with tennis because that's what they knew and um, sort of we all played it. And frankly, I, I did pretty well at it at a young age. So I think that also helped with the decision to stick with it. One thing I actually wanted to ask, because I, I think you might be our first guest on the show to compete at a at a Maccabee Games. And we, we love sort of talking about the 
different multi-sport events that are out there and you want a gold, a silver and a bronze at I think the age of 14, if I'm not mistaken. So what is that experience like? And was that sort of your first multi-sport event that you had been to at that stage? I, at that stage, yeah. Um, and to be honest, I think at, at that age, I didn't really grasp the um, magnitude of it. You know what I mean? If that makes sense, it was it, it is huge in Israel and around the world for Jewish people. Um, but I was so young and I sort of like didn't fully understand. Um, it was also really cool because I was the flag bearer for Canada. So that nice. was really fun. The stadium was massive and it was packed. And I remember when I stepped outside and I was holding the flag and, you know, the whole kind of team, uh, team Canada was behind me. I was like, oh, my goodness, like this is actually a really big deal. This is so cool. Um, so that was my first, I would say that that is, that is a really good, um, kind of parallel, um, in that sense to draw from, I would say that, you know, Canada has think there's something called the Canada summer games. So it's something like that on a much smaller scale for kids. Um, so there's, you know, people, but you're, you're kind of like regions of Canada sort of against each other in that sense. Uh, and different sports. So there's, there was that, but certainly not to the magnitude of the Maccabi games. And then, um, yeah, Olympics, that's obviously the, the, the big one, the one everyone hangs for. Yeah. Cause we often talk about sort of mainly with our winter athletes is, you know, they don't really have multi-sport events that they can do to obviously, as you said, Canada kind of have the, the Canada games, but you know, for a lot of, say, a swimmer or, or a track and field athlete, you have a Commonwealth Games, a Pan Am Games, you know, depending on where you are in, in the world and that. So tennis is not really a sport. Like it was in the Commonwealth Games, I think, once in 2010, and then it's sort of never been there. I, I'm not sure if tennis is a Pan Am sport. So it's kind of, it's not exactly it is. a... It is a Pan Am sport. It is a Pan Am sport. So, I mean, it's yeah. sort of, it seems sporadic. It's not like the guaranteed sport to be at a multi-sport uh, game. So you make the most of it when you can. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, that's a good way to put it. It's an interesting one because there's so much history in tennis. It's not like a newer sport because, you know, mm. those newer sports are always popping up. So I think that's sort of what gets it in some of these type of like multi-sport events. Um, and that is, it's also, but at the same time, it's sort of not like one of the, you know, um, I'm not sure what the right word is, but, you know, one of the original, that's the word I'm looking for, original sports of like the Olympics, you know? Um, So it's tricky. It's tricky. It's also tricky because it's a professional sport. So there's always that debate of like, you know, do professional sports belong in the Olympics or these uh, types of events? And it's a, it's tough, you know, there's, there's two sides to it. um, But it does seem to kind of find its way in things. And then, sort of disappear and then find its way back, I guess. You just kind of go with it. Exactly. Which I'd be fascinated to learn when you're going through and you're progressing, you turn professional, obviously, you know, you're predominantly a double players now. Of course, you had a lot of success in doubles and at the Olympics in the doubles, which we'll talk about. But, of course, there is still singles. Do you get to a point where you – I don't know, realize that doubles is more your game versus the singles. I mean, kind of at what point when you're going through the career, is that maybe a realization? Is it a coach's choice? I mean, how does all that work? I think again, it's athlete dependent. My story is very unique. Um, I started very young and I was successful pretty young. Uh, I got burnt out and um, I also was pretty injured by the time I quit the first time. So I quit, uh, in 2016, in May, I was just really, I kind of fell out of love with the sport. Um, I battled a bunch of injuries, uh, kind of mismanaged my schedule. And that's sort of when the injuries piled on, um, stayed in a coaching situation that probably ran its course. And it just, all those factors together made me just not really love what I was doing anymore. Um, and then, you know, I decided to come back and play, um, in 2018 at the end of 2018, because at the time my, my, at that time, boyfriend, um, was also an Olympic, was an Olympian and he was aiming for his, uh, second Olympics. And a few weeks before his second Olympics, he got in a really serious accident. Um, and, uh, he, his career was sort of over, didn't make it to the Olympics. So, that inspired me to come back and play to try and make the Tokyo Olympics. Um, 
And then at that time I, you know, was thinking, oh, you know, he'll come, he'll come with me and then he can fulfill his goal of going to two Olympics. Um, but, uh, you know, pandemic happened and, uh, a lot of other things, you know, life situation changed. We're not together anymore, but it did inspire me to come back and play. And at the time, my logic was, well, you know, what's the fastest way to get as high as I can, it's probably going to be through doubles singles. It's a, it's a bit, it takes more time to climb up the rankings doubles. You know, I I'd had a lot of success in doubles, even though singles was my main focus. And I knew that that one was faster to move up. So I had, you know, time was against me. So I just decided to focus on one uh, area and I picked the one that, that I could move up quicker. So that's sort of my story with doubles. Um, also, you know, I've been playing a long time and, um, you know, I'm 31, I mean, 32 in December, I started playing tennis when I was four. So there's a lot of years on my body. Um, and some athletes are very lucky to just be able to play as long as they want and really not have anything major happen. There's, it's very rare, but it happens. Um, there's some athletes that their career ends way too soon due to injuries. I, I think I'm quite fortunate, but um, you know, I do have things that like, I'm just trying to manage physically at this point in my career and singles takes just a big toll on my body. And, um, as much as it'd be fun to be able to go out there and play, I have to be realistic with like how much pain I'm willing to go through. And, mm. um, the thing is with singles is like, you, you know, you have to, you have to <laughs> bounce back every single day and, I just at a point where like, I don't know that physically I'll be able to do what I know I'm capable of or want to. So that was sort of, you know, kind of all the the factors in my decision to focus on doubles and remain focused on doubles. Um, I do love playing singles. I'll, I'll play some, you know, singles in practice and things like that. But uh, yeah, I think just for me, it makes sense for other players. It's a number of things. Some people just never really have the success in single in double in singles the way they did in doubles, and they just had to decide because there there was just too much disparity in their ranking, and they had to you know either sacrifice they had to sacrifice one because they were getting in big tournaments with doubles and not singles, and you know you you the goal is to keep them similar. Um, so if you have to decide, then sometimes players will say, you know what, I'm just going to, I guess I'll just be a doubles player and just play singles once in a while. If it, you know, if it happens, yeah. um, and yeah, there's, there's so many factors, Co usually not the coaches, um, in the end it's the player's decision, but could be a coach saying, Hey, you know, I think you could really focus on that and do better. And then maybe that sort of sparks the idea. Um, and then there's some people that just really don't like competing in singles they prefer the team thing you know it is tennis is a very lonely sport and uh doubles is kind of a way of having someone out there with you you know yeah. um so there's yeah, there's a lot of different reasons it's, for sure it's fascinating to hear that because i mean i my blossoming tennis career that lasted a year when i was 15 clearly i'm on the pro tour so i did very well but uh, i mean I, I hated playing doubles i hated it like it was kind of like ben you, your partner no i want to play singles i was selfish uh so it was kind of always never my my favorite um but yeah it's it's that aspect you're saying it it is a lonely sport i can imagine and particularly the way you've got to back up, you know, day to day, everything along those lines. So it's, it's fascinating. And, and, and one thing growing up in Australia, I mean, we had the Woodies, you know, growing up in the nineties and into the two thousands. So doubles tennis was very prominent for, for us uh, more so than singles really in that era. So, you know, that got a lot of attention and it's, it's, it's fun to watch doubles. Like doubles is one that needs more coverage. I feel, cause it's always about the singles and then you, you never see, I mean, we saw it in the Australian open, earlier this year, uh, you know, with, with Nick and everything that happened there and how entertaining that turned out to be. So more more love for doubles is all I'm saying basically with this little rant. For sure. You know, what's really interesting is that um, doubles is more widely played internationally than singles on like a recreational club level. So it's very interesting that singles get so much more airtime because to be honest with you, most of the world plays doubles. Um, mm. And when when I talk to players or people, sorry, excuse me, that um, that that play tennis for fun, they say like, I love you know, I love when I can go to a tournament live because then I get to watch doubles matches and I can yeah. learn and try and do things that the pros do. And so it's it's interesting. I kind of think it's like a chicken chicken or the egg. Like um, 
is singles more popular because it has more airtime? If you give doubles more airtime, could it be more popular? But you have to try it first to know because people say, oh, no, you know, the singles, you know, singles tennis gets a lot more views. Well, I don't know. Part of me is almost like, do you want to just try it out to see if maybe you're wrong? Um, hmm. Or does it have to be more like pushed and protested and whatever in order to give that um, that airtime to double? So I, I don't know. But that is an interesting fact. You know, you think like everyone, most people want that. So you think like give the people what they want. Yeah, exactly. It is kind of interesting to think about how that all plays out. And one thing I, I love about tennis, and one thing I don't know if athletes in tennis get the credit they deserve is if I had to say who I think the, the toughest athletes are in the world, I would rank tennis players as very high up there because the thing that's unique about tennis is you have no end date in terms of a match. You begin a match and you could play for five days technically until it is, is over. There's no uh, way of ending it basically, uh, you know, on a conventional state. And then during a Grand Slam, you've got two weeks, you can play up to seven matches, you've got to back that up. And any, like the endurance that a tennis athlete has to have is absolutely incredible. When it comes to gym like what are you focusing on is it all cardio and endurance based things i mean strength obviously i can imagine for the the strokes and the the shots and everything like that but i mean to be so well-rounded in that endurance aspect i can imagine there's lots you've got to focus on yeah and it's a very i mean that is a excellent question um about you know conditioning it's also such a loaded question um (laughs) i will also add to the fact that tennis is a tough sport at that point you made it has quite possibly the worst season of all professional sports there is literally no off season there's like 45 seconds to take a breath after your last tournament like the season is 10 and a half months and then you have six weeks to like what have a training block you know you get a quick break and then you have to be in like peak physical condition to last another 10 and a half months it's it's actually insane it's ridiculous on top of the fact that matches can go forever you know there's no like time limit and overtime etc and that tournaments last a week and there's a tournament every single week (laughs) it's nuts it really is nuts um so to answer your question to be honest with you a lot of your fitness is your sport um a lot of and, and i think what what happens in the gym changes over time when you're younger a lot of it is sort of like developing that base and that foundation um, teaching good habits, really good warm ups, really good cool downs, really good injury prevention things, figuring out where your instabilities are and stuff as you're growing, you know, um, and working on those and trying to make sure that like your shoulders are strong, but not too strong, uh, shoulders are strong in the right spots. Cause tennis, you're running a lot. You can't really afford to carry extra weight in the sense of like being too muscular, right? Like you need just enough muscle. Um, and so there's a lot of that. It's a lot of prevention. It's a lot of like load management. Um, so, you know, on the days you feel good, you push on the days you need rest, you rest. Uh, also always, it's just also constantly pivoting. Um, you know, you can do really well in a tournament and then all of a sudden your schedule changes and maybe you skip the following week and just rest, or maybe you just, you're kind of in a rut. You don't do very well. You lose a bunch of weeks in a row. So you have more downtime. So maybe you train a bit harder because you lost in the first round and there's six days till your next tournament. So it's so different. It's so different. And it really, you just have to, you have to sort of respond and pivot a lot, but um, in terms of what you need to do and what you need to have as in your, in your training schedule for conditioning, you need to have um, cardio and in that cardio, it's not usually like long, slow things, um, it's like intervals, a lot of interval training, um, plyo, you know, there's a ton of that. You have to be very explosive. Um, yes, you need strength for sure. So when you do your strength training, it's also kind of how you do it. You know what I mean? It's not just like low, slow, full range. You're like going slow down and explosive up when you squat. It's like the rhythm of it too. Um, you know, also like 
figuring out how many sets and reps to do. And you do that based on when you're going to compete. So, you know, it's, it's caught you. It's, it's like you, people have to know what they're doing in order to do it properly. There's also yeah. a lot of footwork and agility and coordination stuff that you're doing. And then you try and do some of it on court as well, because, you know, no matter what you do in the gym, nothing's going to mimic your sport. So trying to incorporate like fitness on the tennis court too, is really important. Um, yeah, there's a lot, but, uh, and as you get older, it changes. I would say now at this age, at my age, I'm all about injury prevention and management, um, and just maintaining, you know, I'm not trying to like build and like put my body in the best shape. I'm just trying to like, keep it together keep it strong, keep it happy, uh, and keep it as pain-free as possible. Which I also imagine reaction training, particularly with doubles, I, I can imagine that obviously with how that's so played at the net and everything along those lines. But the mental aspect, I always love learning about mental aspect of all sports on, on this show. But, you know, people who watch tennis and can see there that, you know, the, the three long three-set match that you've got, you've – coming from behind there's always you know things to get back into matches and that sort of stuff i mean what sort of mental training would say you focus on to really kind of make sure that if you're in a tough three setter to overcome adversity you can turn it around that's a great question um you know i think it depends on the person again for myself i grew up in many different ways i had an older brother so that really helped um you know he was really toughening me up always tried to keep up with him lost a lot uh had to figure out how to like bounce back and figure things out um also just competing in itself really helps uh you get better at doing something by doing it so when you compete uh typically you get better at competing um you know there's also sports psychologists things like that can really help um, I worked with a number of them and they did help. Um, I also think it's really important to have a coach that can help you mentally, um, as well as technically and tactically on a tennis court, because so much of tennis is mental. Like it's great if you have pretty technique and you can put the ball on the court, but once you are competing, it doesn't matter. You don't get bonus points because your forehand looks nice. Um, you know, or like your how outfit is you know, on point, <laughs> uh, tennis pun intended, but, um, <laughs> it's, it's really about how you put things together and how you can perform in the big moments. So having a coach that can help you through that and maybe even like create, um, an environment when you're training to like replicate it or challenge your, your mental fortitude is important. Uh, also having a core, a coach, on the court with you when you're competing in practice, playing practice matches can really help um, because they can sort of pause things for a second, speak to you, and then you can, you know, go about uh, what you're trying to do on court and keep competing. So I think, you know, having like a, a very good, a coach that's very knowledgeable in that is, is such an advantage. Um, also, this is something I find to be so important and it's raising a good well-rounded human. And I know that's so subjective, but it's not just about how you carry yourself when you're competing, who you are comes out on the court. It comes out in moments of adversity and stress. Um, so I feel that parents should really focus on raising a kid or their child as a person that can you know, handle adversity the best they can, um, doesn't throw fits or start crying and break down, which can happen. Everyone's human. But, you know, if that's sort of your tendency uh, outside the court, when you don't get your way, then that's going to happen when you step on the court, you know, mm -hmm. so uh, build the person and the athlete will follow. I think that's huge. You know, raising an athlete is not just about how good they can hit a tennis ball. It's how they can handle adversity uh, on and off the court. So that's huge in my opinion. I like that. I like that. And I guess coming from a tennis family, that kind of is ingrained in you a little bit more, whereas I don't know what John McEnroe's parents did, uh, you know, raising him. No disrespect to the great John McEnroe, but, uh, you know, maybe there's the, the anger issues there came from somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not the most – I mean, now I'm very calm. Um but I am super feisty. And if you talk to anyone that knew me as a junior, like I was a nightmare. 
Um, I was so feisty. I would get so mad sometimes. Um, but you know, I'm like, I, I always say I'm Eastern European. My parents are Eastern European. It's in my blood, you know? Um, but yeah, that's something I would say more than anything that I learned through my own mistakes. Um, so now I, I also love, I do love, I, I do hope to be coaching when I, when I do retire, I really enjoy that. So, um, you know, it's something just for myself in the back of my mind, like, one day when I am no longer competing professionally, uh, that's something that's going to be very important for me when I'm working with athletes is just making sure that, you know, their attitude goes far beyond um, their field of play. You mentioned the years that you had off, come back in with the goal of going towards Tokyo. Qualifying for an Olympics, is it based on your rankings and sort of is it designated in terms of, Canada has a certain amount of people in this spot we choose, or is it a case of if you're in the top, whatever you automatically get a select? Like, how does that work? How did you have to, I guess, yeah. where did, you know what I'm trying to ask? Where did you have to be 100%. to on that rankings to get into Tokyo? The answer is both. <laughs> if you, <laughs> if you are for doubles, if you're automatic, if you're ranked in the top 10, uh, at the, the, they call it the deadline, the entry deadline. Um, if you're ranked in the top 10, you're automatically in and you get to pick your partner or your country picks your partner. Um, and if you're not, then your country nominates you to the ITF and then the ITF accepts you. And I think I'm right. almost 100% sure it's based on ranking. And then there's also some spots that I believe are for like countries that don't have a lot of representation. So if there are players that, maybe aren't ranked in the top 50 or top hundred. Um, but they are, they represent a country that doesn't have many athletes. And I think that there's like a little loophole to possibly get in there. Cause the Olympics is obviously all like about diversity and having people from different countries, uh, competing in it. So there's that as well. Um, so yeah, kind of. Both. Which, and I also can imagine too, that Japan would have gotten a certain allocation. The host country obviously would get, you know, cause generally, hosts get sort of that way, which I can also imagine how does that work then in terms of the partner choice? Because if that's designated by the Canadian Olympic committee, I mean, for the most part, when you're on the tour, you, I imagine just pick and choose your partner, whoever you work best with, you don't automatically go, Oh, you're Canadian. You're going to work with me. So it's, it's a unique aspect of an Olympics that you have to play with a Canadian. You can't play with your partner if they're from the States or Australia or wherever. So how does that sort of work? Do you get a say saying to like the Olympic committee, like I want to play with Gabby or it's basically shut up. You've got Gabby put up with it. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, it really is country dependent. Every country has its own uh, way of doing it with Canada. It's it, they definitely take into consideration your request, but I also at the same time, like they want as many, uh, people representing the country as they can. So they're going to pair up whoever makes the most sense and whoever can get in. So um, I think it's, you know, preference, but also strategic. Like if two players for doubles, for example, don't maybe jive as well, but that's the best shot at going, like they're going to go, they're going to figure it out and they'll do their best. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause I can imagine it's, it's a big aspect going back to what you're saying. It's a, it's a very sort of, lonely sport and the fact that you're so used to playing by yourself but that team aspect and I mean I can imagine you've got to have a chemistry on the court like you've got to have something you can't be screaming and yelling at each other in the middle of a, a set you know when you're you're winning or you're losing so uh, I guess you've got to work on that uh, off the court as, as best as you can yeah yeah for sure and you know some people still do anyways I mean it's not often <laughs> I'm kidding it's not often but yeah for the most part everyone's professional you know everyone wants to win so you put your differences aside and you try your best. Um, some people click, some people don't, but you do what you can. And for the most part, you know, especially as you get older, you usually get better at being able to work with other people. And had you played with Gabby much as a doubles partner going into the Olympics? Yes. Yes. In the past. Yes. Um, leading up to it. No, but we grew up playing a lot of doubles together. So it wasn't too different. I had an, I had an injury I was battling um, but I still thought we like, I, I was pretty proud of how well I competed despite, you know, having not maybe had the preparation I would have, uh, hoped to have going into it. Um, and then, yeah, we had a tough draw I mean, the girls we lost to 
got to they they, they won the bronze. They won the bronze. So. Yeah, they ended up going that far. Yeah, which I mean, so I guess if you get eliminated, you want to maybe be eliminated by somebody who's going to go on and win a medal, right? That's that's kind of the, you know you you look at it that way. Which I mean, just going back to that moment where you knew you had qualified or you were selected and sort of again you'd come out of a retirement to to get this goal. What's that moment like when you officially know you've punched that ticket? Is it a moment where you can quickly celebrate it and you've achieved this or is it like, no, straight, we're looking at business here. We're going to these Olympics, not just to make up the numbers. No, I was so excited. I remember when I got the call, um, I was so happy. I did a little celebration. I mean, I still, I still feel like I, um, I still feel like I didn't give myself the celebration that like I truly deserve, not deserved, you know, really wanted because for me, um, you know, the whole Olympic experience was so much more than just being an Olympian. It was kind of what it represented. Like basically to me, the Olympic rings is you can do anything you set your mind to, you know, um, because I, I did, I quit, I was coaching. I, wanted nothing to do with tennis. I had no reason or desire to come back, but somehow in 18 months plus the pandemic, I went from zero in the world to 21 in the world. Um, and I went through a lot to get there and I pushed my body and broke my body in a lot of ways to do it, but I did it. Um, so for me, I just feel like, um, you know, it was, it was just an experience that meant so much more than just being an Olympian. It was sort of like my reminder that if I really want something, I can do it. Um, so I think, you know, when I do retire one day, I'll probably just add, you know, probably I'll, when I celebrate and, and sort of, um, celebrate my career in that sense, I think I'll probably celebrate like a little harder for that, like Olympic, uh, experience because, I feel like um, I had a moment to cheer and be super happy, but I feel like I didn't take as much time to just like really, um, you know, celebrate as I guess that's the best word. And I love celebrating. Celebrate more. (laughs) Any excuse that you can do that, which I mean, I was going to ask, we always ask sort of our, our guests in terms of, are you soaking up? the extra things that an Olympic brings, you know, be it the, the ceremonies, the, the pin trading, the, you know, bumping into these other athletes, you know, which, I mean, for your case, some people get excited to bump into Rafael Nadal or Roger Federer. For you, they're just, you know, they're colleagues on the tour. They're probably, you know, every Thursday you see them. But, like, are you soaking up that sort of atmosphere a little bit more and taking that in? Yeah, I mean, I would, I would have loved to. I did the pin swaps and all those things, but, you know, I competed at the pandemic Olympics. So Mm. everything was super different compared to what I'd been told, you know, everyone was afraid of each other. Um, We couldn't watch any other sports. And then when our event was over, we had to leave the country within like 24 hours. So unfortunately it wasn't the Olympic experience that, you know, every other Olympian got to have, but whatever was, allowed and safe i guess is the right word i did my best <laughs> <laughs> do what you can with that which do you exactly. set expectation i mean I, I can imagine tennis is obviously a very difficult sport that of course everybody's going to go out there and say yeah we're going to go win the goal but it's very draw dependent obviously you know you get that draw out and you're like shit you know i didn't want to get them in the first round but did you and gabby kind of set a goal like a you know make the quarters make win a medal like kind of what was sort of the goal going into it I mean, the goal was to win a medal, um, it, I, for sure. And it didn't happen. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, it's always to win. I'm not going to go somewhere if I'm not going for the trophy. So, um, yeah, that's, that's how I operate. (laughs) Which, I mean, it's obviously the thing that is unique in terms of the Olympics with a lot of the results in tennis is that, you know, yeah, sometimes it's not, as we were talking before, reflected on the players at that time, but Canada obviously going through a bit of a golden period in, in terms of tennis in the last, you know, five to 10 years, just obviously with Bianca winning a grand slam and the success that Milos and Jeannie have had and, and everything on those lines. But I think of Canada and tennis, I, I go back to the year 2000. I mean, I'm mentioning how uh, the Woodies, but I remember Sydney. I still remember when they lost uh, to, <laughs> to to Dan and Sebastian for that gold, which uh, interestingly enough I'm seeing here is actually Canada's only ever medal in tennis. So 
I mean, obviously to go out with that goal of getting a medal, realistic, it seems, given how successful Canada sort of uh, become in tennis. So it, it seems like, uh, you, you know, that would have been a bit of a breakthrough, but you know, for a sport in Canada that maybe hasn't been as successful that as an outsider, I didn't even realize until recently. Yeah. I mean, also for Canada specifically, like it's known more as a winter sport country. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, that's something that I guess for whatever reason, um, you know, the, the summer Olympics is, I mean, it's super fun and gets a lot of views, but winter Olympics, it seems to be where Canada shines. Um, but we do, that being said, we do have like, you know, Daniel Nestor and, um, uh, Sebastian Leroux, uh, won a gold medal. Um, and yeah. I, I mean, we do have kind of Canadian tennis is sort of the best it's ever been right now. So I think looking forward, that's definitely something that could be in the cards. It's, it is just amazing to think. I mean, I remember when Bianca won the U S open and it was all like the first ever Canadian to win a grand slam title. And it's yeah, it is crazy to think that a country like Canada has done that, but it's it's so fascinating that yeah, winter country. But as we keep pointing out, Tokyo, you won more gold medals than Canada won in Beijing uh, a few months later. So tides are turning here, Sharon. Summer's becoming a little yeah. bit more than than winter, right? Nearly double the amount of gold too, by the way. You got in Tokyo to Beijing. So just saying. Yes, you're right. Who knows? Um, yeah, crazier things have happened, so yeah. <laughs> why not? <laughs> which, which, I mean, obviously going out in the first round, I mean, tiebreaker in the first and then lose ultimately 6-4. It's a dumb question to ask, was it disappointing? Of course it was disappointing, but, I mean, in any other Olympics, you'd obviously, as you say, get to soak that up. But once you're out, is it just a case of, because you've got to get out there so quickly, it's just focus on on the next tournament? Or do you do you take a moment because it's an Olympics and it's a little bit different to kind of reflect on what you've done at that point representing your country in the Olympics? Yeah, I mean, again, for me, it was so unique because I, I actually took some time off afterwards because I needed to recover. Um, I was managing a shoulder injury. So for me, it was like sort of a blur. I had to get out of there because Tokyo was saying, once your event's done, you have to be out in 24 hours. So there wasn't much to soak in. Unfortunately I tried, but, uh, you know, there was only so much I could really do, you know, only a couple places you could go on the grounds and that was it. And then you sort of had to leave. Um, and then when I got back, a lot of it was sort of just focusing on, um, recovering and rehabbing. And, uh, for myself, I had a lot of personal things going on at the same time. So I feel like my attention was in all sorts of different places, but, um, you know, if I'm fortunate enough to play and compete in another Olympics, I definitely feel that I will do everything I can to soak up the experience. Assuming it's not another pandemic, <laughs> knock on wood or black swans situation. Um, so, um, assuming, you know, everything is, is business as usual, uh, I would do everything I could to enjoy the moment. And then if I felt that I needed more time to just take a minute and pause and reflect, um, I would definitely do that because I think one of the biggest things, um, I'm learning and also that I've come to learn just through the experience of different athletes who have retired is most of them, you know, the, one of the number, <laughs> the number one thing, it seems that people, um, who have retired from their sport, uh, have said is they wish they enjoyed it more. So I think I try and remind myself of that when um, I'm really happy and I, I just really just enjoy that and savor it and be happy. Don't like brush it off and focus on the next thing, like just enjoy it. Uh, and then also when things are challenging, just remember like this is temporary and yep. it's just sport, you know, it's, it's not, it's not who you are. It's what you do. Um, so I think sort of just honoring wherever I'm at. I like that attitude. Just quickly, just one more thing on Tokyo. When it comes to mixed doubles, is that chosen beforehand or do they sort of look at it, uh, you know, a, a week or so in and go, hey, do you want to play and, or based on kind of how you went? It's, it's actually based on ranking and I think right. I believe it's on site um at the event actually so yeah it's it's a small draw um and it's whoever can get in um based on their combined ranking so was that an option like for you on your rankings or was that always going to be gabby it wasn't because um the cutoff was very tough and i think i needed 
I think the cutoff was like maybe 30 uh, combined. And at the time, I believe I was ranked like 28. I needed someone from Canada who was top three and we didn't have anyone that was top three. So I, it wasn't possible. So Gabby was higher than me and Felix was there and together their rankings actually were high enough to make that cut. So it was sort of just, it's math. It's really just math. That's the answer. That's how it ends. Math is the answer. Always the answer. <laughs> you, you touched on 2024. Going to be at Roland Garros. You said your dream was to win the French Open. Uh, so, I mean, I can imagine that a second Olympics, uh, to have it at the site of the French Open would be pretty incredible. Is that a goal that you are sort of pushing towards to go back to a second Olympics and do it in a pretty amazing place? Um. No, <laughs> but <laughs> if it happens, I will embrace that. Um, my, we're going to need a whole another podcast to talk about my um, sort of my career and how it's progressed and evolved. But essentially at this point, like I, I've been out this year due to injury and also personal things. Um, I finished last year with a really successful season but um, I was injured for a lot of it. And, um, and then a number of personal things happened as well that I just, you know, I just needed to take time to heal physically and mentally and emotionally. So for myself at this point, um, I'm going to come back when I'm ready. Uh, and only I know when that is. And um, I'm going to play for myself you know, I think I dedicated so much of my career to playing for others or playing for a goal that wasn't mine, maybe, but inspired by someone else. And um, when I come back, um, I want to really just play for myself and just love it and enjoy it and have no expectation or goal, if that makes sense. Uh, I want to play for me and whatever the results look like, they look like that that's fine. So if that happens to be really good and then organically I make the 2024 Paris Olympics, amazing. I will love that, but I am not going to tie myself to something because um, I've done that a lot of my life and it was amazing. I've, I've accomplished so much and I, I arguably accomplished maybe more than I would have because I never gave up um, because I felt so tied to something. But, um, you know, I just want to compete from a place of joy. And, you know, if that takes me through another year of tennis, great. If that takes me through longer, great. If that takes me to the Olympics, amazing. But I'm just going to embrace whatever, you know, the universe has in store for me. So what you're saying, Sharon, is that we can play this clip when all of this journey takes you to Olympic gold, French Opens, Wimbledon, yeah. like all this, like this is the start of something that with yes. that new attitude that uh, can be played basically on your actual retirement when you've won all these grand slams and gold medals that would be amazing but yes you have my permission let's do that good let's do it <laughs> all right we're going to wrap up with a bunch of fun get to know yourself questions there's a couple of things i really want to touch on um obviously melbourne australian open great tournament i went to my very first australian open uh, earlier this year loved every second of it it was fantastic but you've had a bit of success uh, at Melbourne Park, quarterfinalist uh, in, in the doubles and a junior doubles champion there as well. Uh, any experiences in Melbourne? Is it a place you like to to, to visit? Uh, and, you know, do you get much of a chance to check out the city when you're sort of there in between five minutes you get off the court? Yeah, I mean, I've been to Melbourne a number of times because I competed there as a junior as well. I won the Junior Australian Open, which was really fun, and doubles. And I'd say over the years I got to – you know, explore bits and pieces. And now I just have a lot of bits and pieces. So I, I feel like I've seen a lot of Melbourne. Um, I definitely would love to see more of Australia. Um, but it's such an incredible place. It's so much fun. And it's really nice because um, just having been there so much, I've been able to sort of sightsee and, and get to know kind of the vibe of, of the city. And, and I love it. It does remind me of Canada in a lot of ways. Just, it's mm. a lot warmer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for sure but uh it, it's it's so amazing i have such great memories there which i mean hobart where i'm from we of course have the hobart international which yeah uh, and I'm I not sure you, that. 
You have played it. Oh, great. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So yeah, there you go. Yeah. You've been to my home city, which, I mean, it's it's pretty much Tasmania's biggest sporting event. It's like our pretty it much, is. you know, we get cricket and sort of things like that. But in terms yeah. of international, uh, you know, it is a big event for the state. Yeah. And uh, you guys have an awesome little, like, is it the wharf or something? Yeah. The, sort of the waterfront, yeah. the wharf area. Yeah. It's right, right yeah. near the tennis center. Yeah. Yeah. That's where, that's where I remember the hotel, uh, the tournament hotel is. And yes. Oh, I love, we, I love that area. I went to like the, it's like the Bonnerong Wildlife. Bonnerong Park. Or, yes. Bonnerong Park. Yep. Um, yes. Oh, yeah. It's so fun. Did I you get to hold it? There. Did you get to see a Tassie Devils and like hold a koala and do all the standard things like that? I, I did. I, Pet a koala. Uh, I saw the Tasmanian Devils. I held a koala in Sydney, actually. Ah. Uh, that was something else. But um, it was really cool. We had we got to like feed the kangaroos, and it was nice. It was, it was pretty. Fun. I used to do media there a lot, but I, I think the last one I would have went to, um, it was the year that Jeannie got runner up, and. We, I went to her match, I think it might have been the quarterfinal, ended up being played at like two in the morning because of delays and all that sort of stuff. And there was one member of the Genie Army that was there. And I'd come in a Team Canada thing. We had the flag. It was, it was amazing. Like, you know, two of us being vocal when there was like 10 people left. And she won. And I always, you know, tell this story because I loved it, that she grabbed my phone and took a selfie of me with me on that. And that was for her, oh, not for me. Like, so, you know, that was oh, my, that's my, nice. my Canadian tennis connection that I had when Jeannie came to, to Hobart, which was a, a fun little memory. Other things, two other things. I believe you're a bit of a foodie. I watched one of your videos you had on YouTube, uh, some cooking uh, channel stuff there, which is great. Love it. Keep that up. And also Starbucks mugs, I believe you collect. Is this something that is like a, a massive collection? Do you just kind of everywhere you go, you got to grab a Starbucks mug basically? That's so funny. I love cooking. I'm also vegan. So uh, I do a lot of my own cooking. At first it was, I guess, out of necessity, but now it's so mainstream. So I find that to be really easy. I've always loved cooking. Though. It's very therapeutic for me. And the Starbucks, I don't know where you found that out, but yeah, I have a Starbucks mug collection. I have to say I've been slacking because um, during sort of the whole pandemic, uh, Canada was a country similar to Australia where it was like in full lockdown and you couldn't mm-hmm. come back unless you quarantined. So I basically was gone for eight months and, uh, I couldn't collect the mugs because I didn't have enough space. Um, I sort <laughs> of had a couple suitcases. <laughs> exactly. And I couldn't afford, I couldn't afford the luggage fees. So, um, there was like a chunk of time in the last couple of years where I haven't collected the mugs, but I have a pretty good collection. Um, and I do intend to get the, the ones that I'm missing at some point, but Catching I think it's fun. Like I, I do love it. It's, a, it's Which, a fun There would be a rare one out there. Cause we did have a Starbucks in Hobart for about five years. I actually worked at it. It was a lot of fun, but uh, so there is a, Tasmania Starbucks mug in existence, which I don't know if anybody still has out there. So there's a rare one to find. <laughs> yeah, I gotta find that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If I if I find one, I'll, I'll hook you up. As I said, Please. we wrap up, Sharon, with some quick fire questions. These are Team Canada questionnaire that they gave athletes ahead of Rio and Pyeongchang. Don't believe they did this ahead of Tokyo, unfortunately. So we'll we'll bring this back for you. But let's start off with your favorite ever Olympic moment is. Oh, you know, I think that's a really tough one because there's so many good ones. Um, I actually think this is an old one and it's kind of a sad one, but um, it was when, and it's really bad, I'm forgetting the athlete, but there was a sprinter who was supposed to I believe he was supposed to medal and he off the blocks, his um, hamstring tour mm. and he, and then his dad jumped down on the. Yeah, yeah that was, yeah, yeah, yeah. And in Barcelona, I believe that was, I think. Um, yeah, so long yeah, ago. Yeah. And if you can remember yeah. who it was, that would be amazing because it's yeah, slipping my like, mind. I think he was British. Um, yeah, I can't remember the name. I'm sleeping but my time. You know what I'm talking, talking about. about. Yeah, I know exactly. Yes. Famous image of his so dad I mean, helping him across the line. Yeah. Yes, yes. And I, I just, I know that that's like kind of not the one that most people would pick. 
It's a but great answer. Yeah. It is, ah, yeah. There's just something about it. It just makes me my life. There's so many of those moments. So like we had a, there was a couple in Tokyo, um, you know, runners fell down. Somebody stopped to pick them up, help them that, um, you know, we had our uh, athlete in the decathlon win a bronze and basically our, his teammate, Cedric Dubler got more famous because he basically sacrificed his last race to be like, mate, hurry the fuck up. You've got to run. You're going to win a medal here. So kind of uh, that became a thing in Australia, doing a Dubler, basically helping your mate out. So yeah, <laughs> things like that, which aren't necessarily yeah. a gold medal thing. They're, they're always great sort of memories to have. Yes. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I'd say that, but that's the one that's in. When I think of the Olympics, uh, for some reason, I think of that one. Yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic one. I like that. You're the first to answer that, Sharon, so I like it. That's a it's long time <laughs> coming for that to be an answer. If you could choose any Olympic host city, where would it be? That's a great question. Rome. Rome, yes. I think Rome would be amazing. Um, I know Athens did it. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I, for some I just think Rome, Rome would be so cool. Yeah, no, it's been a while, 60s since they had it. I mean, obviously they've got the next winters, but um, it's not in Rome, it's in Milan. So it's a different yes. part of the country, Ben. Um, yes. In your spare time, I mean, we might have already answered this. In your spare time, what do you most like to do? It depends. Um, but really, I love meditate. I'm a big meditator. Uh, yoga. Um, I love to journal. I love to read. Uh, I'm kind of a nerd, I guess. Now I'm listening to myself. I'm kind of like a hippie nerd. Um, Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> the vegan hippie nerd. Show. <laughs> um, but yes, I, I would say meditating, yoga, um, reading, journaling. And I'm also, on the flip side of it, uh, I'm also super spontaneous. Um, I love adventures. So if someone is like, hey, you know what? Do you want to go drive here or just take a trip there? or just do something you want to go try this place or there's this really cool event that's happening you want to go i'm in so i i I love the the random spontaneous adventures (laughs) nice i like that i mean just with your cooking blogs you should be doing like spontaneous adventure blogs like this have a website for it all so that works yes we need to talk more about that do it absolutely um the weirdest instruction a coach ever gave you was Uh, I don't even know how to explain it, but it was like changing my grip the way I like held my racket when I was returning my serve. And they were adamant that it was going to like really help my tennis. But like, that's something that's so silly. And I remember it messed me up so much. He he wanted me to hold the racket a different way in between shots, not during the shot, which is like nothing, you know, (laughs) it's just really strange. Like why that doesn't help me. Yeah. Uh, it just loses me more. So yeah, that. <laughs> I like that. That is wow. That is that is very strange. Um, yeah. If you if you could have lunch with any one person, who would it be? Oh, that answer has changed a lot over the years. Um, I think right now in this moment, it would be, um, and this is living. I'm guessing, right? It yeah. could be any. Let's let's go living or dead. Why not? You've oh, got the power to tough. choose anyone. <laughs> this is tough. I mean, there's like part of me that wants to say like you know family member that's passed, of course. Um, but if I'm going the sport route or the athlete or personal route, I would say um, actually maybe like Jay Shetty. I love okay. his podcast. Um, I think he's interviewed some amazing people. I think he's super fascinating. Um, this is another one, John Wooden. He's one of the arguably best basketball coaches of all time. Uh, love his stuff. And I think he'd be super interesting. And there's also my meditation teacher, Elena Brower, who she doesn't know she's my teacher, but I do a lot of her stuff. So <laughs> I don't know. This is really hard. Can I have it's a busy lunch? You have a big table, very, basically. Book a I few will seats. Eat three lunches. I will go back Done. and back and back. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, be, be very hungry that day. Uh, two more. <laughs> e, well, growing up, who was your favorite sports team? I I wasn't a big sports team person. I liked um like it like I I didn't follow team sports. Um it was always like tennis. I, I loved Martina Hingis. She was my mm. favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh sports team. I guess I'd have to say the Leafs, like the Toronto yeah. Maple Leafs, because it's like a you know, cocky Toronto, but 
I never really followed them. Um, right. It's, now, it's, it's, you know, they, they, they haven't done very well for a while. So no, it's, it's okay. I know. And at the time it was just like <laughs> sad. But, yeah, at least now they're making the playoffs. But Our, our co-host <laughs> on this show, sadly not with us, Colin, he's a big Leafs fan, so I like to ah. make – fun of him i'm a, I'm a I, flames I flames and a ducks fan so you know it's okay flame, all right that's good at least it's a canadian yeah i had yeah. to have a canadian and american team you know you, yeah. you see hockey as a kid in australia you've got to go for the ducks but then of course have to have a canadian mm-hmm. team too so that's how it works uh last one i'll ask you here what is your favorite sports movie that's a great question and that's a tough one to answer um What keeps coming to mind is Rudy. That's the mm. one that just, I can't, it's like, mm-hmm. it's like in my head, like Rudy, Rudy is your one. I also love, remember the Titans. I think that's amazing. Yeah. Blind side was so good. Yep. Um, there's so many good ones. Moneyball. I thought that yeah. was just very interesting, but I guess Rudy, Rudy wants to. Got to go for just, it. Yeah. That's, just, that's in your head. Go for it. It's, it's yeah, like, it's I always like to sort of find out like, you know, athlete from certain sports. There's a couple of tennis movies out there. Obviously we had King Richard recently. King sort Richard's of a tennis movie. It's a tennis movie. Uh, so like, I mean, it's kind of, it's, it's good when you have these uh, movies that kind of correlate to your sport. Every time we get a bobsledder on, it's like, if you don't answer cool runnings and then, then what's wrong with you. But um, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's kind of interesting when it gets, because tennis is a, a sport where there's so many stories to tell. Right. So, you know, it's that's kind right. of, that's Plenty great. to go out there. You just don't slap people when you win an award for it, but we won't touch on that basically anymore. <laughs> uh, Sharon, before we let you go, social media, people can follow you, your journey uh, moving forward. Where can people stay up to date with what you're up to? Yeah, I would say I'm most active on Instagram. Um, so you can follow me there. My ha- handle is uh, Shazzy with four Zs. So four. Uh, you can four Z's. You can follow me there. Uh, I've got Twitter. I'm really not as active as I should be. Um, but Sharon underscore Fitchman, you can follow me there. Um, yeah. TikTok? Is there TikTok? Does that exist for you as well? Uh, there is TikTok, but I deleted it. I, right. I just think it's too much. I'm 31. You know, I just, I'm not 21. I feel like I'm struggling with just being active on one. So, yep. <laughs> That's that's where I'm at right now in my life. <laughs> it's fine. I, I I still always joke and say that TikTok's that Kesha song, right? I, I still don't know what it is. So, <laughs> you know. Um, Sharon, it has been so much fun having you on the show to learn about your amazing career, your Olympic experiences, tennis in general, everything along those lines. And we will keep an eye on things, how they go. And as I said, a couple of years' time, all the gold medals, all the grand slams, we'll get you back on and we'll talk about you winning all of those. Love it. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Massive, massive thanks going to Sharon there for her time. Great to hear she'd been to Hobart and played in the Hobart International as well as her experiences in Australia. And Starbucks mugs. Always love to hear when people collect items like that and just how it uh, goes about and how they go about collecting them. So fantastic there. And the Olympic experiences as well. Tennis is a fantastic one. Shame Jared couldn't be on for this uh, interview because I know Jared is a massive tennis fan and uh, always great to get an insight from a sport that we've never had an insight in from before. So hopefully Sharon definitely won't be the last tennis player we get on as we uh, look forward to other interviews moving forward. Before I tease some of those interviews, if you like this interview and want to see the video version of it, YouTube, of course, search for Off The Podium. While you're there, subscribe to the channel. Check out our other great interviews that we've got with some of our former guests on that channel as well. And on social media, we don't have TikTok, unfortunately, either, but we are on Instagram, we are on Facebook, we are on Twitter. Follow us, like us, do whatever you have to do on those different channels. Send us a message. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. And again, as always, if you've got any ideas for guests or episodes, we would absolutely love to hear your thoughts and opinions along the way. So feel free to hit us up, send us a message and uh, give us some ideas out there as well. Subscribe to the channel on all the podcast channels as well. Google, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon Podcasts. We're on all of them. Off the podium, subscribe, rating, the general gist of it. You know what to do if you haven't already. Coming weeks here on Off the Podium. Again, let's tease you up. I've teased for many weeks now about an athlete we've got coming on from a brand new sport that's happening at Paris next year, of course. It is breakdancing, the only new sport that has been introduced 
at the Paris Olympics. We have Australia's number one breakdancer on the show, the male, number one male ranked uh, breakdancer basically in the country. Uh, big Olympic hopeful for him. I'm not going to spoil it any more than that. I've given away who it is. But uh, if you want to know more about him, you can tune in in a couple of episodes' time to hear that chat with him. Also, uh, in the coming weeks, we have uh, more Olympic skiers from a sport that involves bumps and that Colin really likes. I'm pumped and excited for that. We're ticking off other brand new sports on this show that we've never covered, including a sport with a bow and arrow. Guess that one if you want. And a sport with a foot and a ball. A foot and a ball. A ball that's on a foot works that way that might be called other things in other countries if uh, you listen to this interview closely Sharon gave that away so plenty to come here and off the podium Uh, Colin Jared and I will be back soon in a few weeks time to bring you another one of our great little group episodes be it a ranking or just a talk we love that and as I mentioned recently later in the year of course we will be doing a looking ahead to Paris 2024 episode uh, around about the year anniversary before we get to the Olympic Games next year so stay tuned for that we're very much pumped for that as well as a clip show don't forget the clip shows they exist still our best of part six episode 300 not too far away so uh, that will be coming your way very very soon so much to look forward to and off the podium we appreciate you tuning in wherever you are tuning in from we love the support thank you so much for continuing to support our podcast we love every single one of you so thank you so much for tuning in big thanks again to sharon shout out as always to the birmingham bull my name is ben this is off the podium and remember to go left